ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. If you switch on free-to-air TV in WA right now or scroll through social media, you might come across this ad which was put together by the WA Firearms Community Alliance. Get another hobby. In WA, this is not a hobby, this is our lifestyle. Law-abiding West Australians and athletes like us are not the problem. Tell WA Labor and their police minister to get another hobby as we stand for legitimate firearm ownership in Western Australia. Now, the Alliance stole the ad's tagline from the WA police minister, Paul Papalia, who in a throwaway quip told shooters to get another hobby. It certainly raised the hackles. Next Wednesday, firearm owners in WA will be offered up to $1,000 to hand in their weapons ahead of new ownership laws that will be introduced to Parliament. And many are not happy about it. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajuk Country Press. A day after Australia's worst mass murder at Port Arthur in Tasmania, Liberal Prime Minister John Howard pledged he would do everything humanly possible to tighten Australia's gun laws. Many people were very angry about it. But there come and come occasions for any government to take decisions which can only be effectively implemented in the interests of the overall national good if they involve some disproportionate inconvenience and some that disproportionate deprivation for one section of the community. I'm sorry about that, but there is no other way, there is no other way in the future. as you know, decided to introduce a, an effective fair compensation scheme for weapons. <laughs> Now, that was a career-defining moment. That was former Prime Minister John Howard, and he was facing a large group of angry locals in Sale in Victoria, and he was wearing a bulletproof vest at the time. The decision was a reaction to the Port Arthur massacre and was very unpopular with many farmers. During that buyback, 650,000 firearms, both banned and legal, were surrendered to the police or destroyed. Next week in WA, the government will put in place gun laws that they say are the toughest in the country and they compare it to the Howard National buyback that followed the Port Arthur massacre. And this is 1996, just so you get the timeline. Now, here's what WA Police Minister Paul Papalia had to say yesterday. In the last decade and a half, the number of firearms in Western Australia has grown by 65%. That is a huge growth. There are 362,000 firearms, 362,000 guns in Western Australia. Uh, Most Western Australians think uh, fewer guns would be better. Most Western Australians think that a restriction on the number of firearms an individual can own is a reasonable thing. WA Police Minister Paul Papalia. WA firearm owners will be offered up to $1,000 to hand in their guns ahead of new ownership laws, which will be introduced to Parliament next week. Under the new reforms, farmers will have a 10-gun limit, and some farmers are not happy about it. Bevan Eats is a Manjimup farmer, and that's 300k south of Perth, and he says getting $1,000 for a firearm doesn't feel like much of an incentive. You know, there's some firearms out there that are worth well and truly a hell of a lot more than that. In fact, some of the rifles, their scopes that they put on them are worth more than that. I think the intent's there, but um, it might provide some incentive for someone that's not using their firearm that's been sitting in the cupboard for 30 years. But um, on a whole, I think most people will 
still try and hang on to them because they've got them for a purpose. Uh, how many firearms do you own? Uh, I've got eight um, different calibres. And I suppose one thing that I suppose, you know, you've got different firearms for different jobs. So, uh, you know, we've got beef cattle, we've got sheep, we're trying to lamb, we had an orchard. So you've got different pests which affect different things and therefore you use different firearms. So, you know, you obviously you're not going to use a 223 to euthanize a, a, a sick animal that you use to shoot foxes, um, that firearm. So you're not going to obviously then use that to turn around and shoot. So uh, different calibers are used for different things and that's why... You, you need a variety of firearms. Because mm, these new laws that are coming in, it, farmers will have a 10-gun limit. Is that enough? Well, for where I farm, it probably is, but I could probably see the wheat belt and on the stations up north where you've got workers and, you know, you've got safety issues where they need to carry firearms. It probably won't be. Um, you know, we're, we're dealing with small acreage down here. Um, one of the things that's always been difficult is those property letters because of, you know, down in the management area, the property sizes aren't quite to the scale that tick the box in the property letter criteria. This has been talked about for some time. What do you think the reaction will be when it does come into to place? Uh, look, there's, when you talk to people in the community, there's a lot of people not happy. I don't know whether you could even point to some instances where there's been a, a licensed firearm or someone that's licensed to have firearms that's caused an issue in the community. Um, you know, you, you could probably see where it's just going to push those illegal firearms to become more prevalent and probably more available because I think everyone that's got a licensed firearms legitimately trying to do the, the right thing. Um, they've got them locked up, they've got them stored away and using them properly. So um, it feels like we're just targeting the the people that are doing the right thing because um, they're the, the, the easy, low-hanging fruit, so to speak. You mentioned that you're, you're yourself you're from a, a smaller acreage than those compared in the wheat belt or up north. How is this going to affect your production, though, or people that are, are around you? For us, we've got a, a few people that um, we've given permission to shoot. Um, they come down, you know, when we're in the middle of lambing season, we're basically out nearly every night trying to, you know, control the foxes to have someone else to come down and give you a bit of relief during that lambing season or even in the off-season. Um, yeah, it does make it a little bit easier because um, it, it can get pretty hard when you're going out every night. You're certainly not doing it for enjoyment. Last time, Bevan, there was a gun amnesty, there was a significant human tragedy. I'm talking about the Port Arthur massacre. Do you think this time around, because there's that missing element of such a tragic event, people aren't really thinking about it from their heart? They're more thinking about it from their wallet? I, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, there certainly won't be that, um, you know, I think everyone's got the best interest in the safety of the community, but I also know what you've got to do now to secure your firearms. There was uh, a lot more than what it was back in the Port Arthur days. So, you know, the security has already been pretty well controlled. Um, so, yeah, I think the financial of $1,000, apart from someone that's had a, a firearm sitting in the cupboard for 30 years and got no intentions of using it, that's probably the maximum of the uptake that you're going to get. I think, you know, the majority of people are recreational shooters and still enjoy it and, and farmers will continue to try and carry on and hold on to those guns uh, for as long as they can. That's Manjima Farmer Bevan Eats and he was speaking to our reporter, Kate Forrester. ABC Australia Wide. 
Let's head to Victoria's Gippsland region now, where the cleanup continues following Tuesday's severe storms. Residents were expecting a regular thunderstorm as heavy and dark cloud blanketed the region, but the reality was much worse. Hail and strong wind gusts over 120 k's an hour savaged townships and bushland, damaging houses and tearing down trees. And as we heard yesterday, the storm killed a 50-year-old dairy farmer in Darlamurla who was riding a quad bike while moving cattle when he was hit by a flying shed roof about six o'clock in the evening. Now our reporter in sale, Natasha Shapova, has been covering the storm recovery effort and she joins me now. Now, Natasha, can you describe what it's like now after the storm in Mirbu North? Well, it, it's been two days now since the severe thunderstorm hit South Gippsland and we've spoken to people in the community and they're just describing it as a war zone. You really can't think of it as a regular thunderstorm. It wasn't just rain and lightning. People in the area have told us that it was like some sort of a hurricane. There was hail bucketing down and the wind was so intense, reaching 126 kilometres per hour in some areas. It snapped goalposts on a footy oval in half in Merbu north it shredded wheelie bins and it really wow. just tore roofs off people's houses and took down hundreds of trees it almost looks like the region has been seared by bushfire because the leaves have just come off those trees leaving them bare and one lady who was standing on the back of her porch in Merbu north could see her neighbor's house which wasn't at all visible before because it was obscured by bush which has all just been flattened now but the region is still in a blackout. There's no electricity and phone service is only available in some more elevated areas. So it's difficult to get in contact with anyone at the moment. And people are relying heavily on power generators and council facilities to charge their phones. And it's been a real community effort. People are coming together today in town to clean up the debris that's been left. And it's it's a really emotional time for, for many of those people in the community. There were tens of houses that were badly damaged or destroyed even. Bulldozers are in place demolishing some houses that are beyond repair. So um, some people were a bit luckier um, and were spared from that with only fences down and some windows shuttered. But of course, as you mentioned, the storms also killed one 50-year-old dairy farmer who was riding his quad bike at about 6pm on Tuesday. So it's really all a massive tragedy for this close-knit town. The farmers all know each other as well and many are grieving. We did speak to the principal of Merbu North Primary School, Matthew Snell, and he talks about the stark contrast contrast from last weekend's festivities as well. Just on Sunday, Merbu North hosted its Italian Festa, which is a massive event for the region and it attracted more than 30,000 visitors and just days later, catastrophe. See the stark comparison now with, um, you know, what's uh, cyclonic or some people say tornado-ish um, going through the town the way it did. That's uh, a stark comparison to where it was a week and a half, a week and a bit ago. Um, and we've got, I guess at the moment, even driving out of town or into town from the from the north to still be driving over power lines um, and obviously the damage is pretty visible on both sides of the road um, um, and for some just off just off the main highway um, gets even worse in patches so yeah there's a big 
there's a big clean-up ahead. That's the principal of Mirbu North, Matthew Snell. Uh, the difference those few days have made, Natasha, for everybody there, how long is it likely to take the town to recover from this damage? Well, because the damage is so severe, we've heard it may even take years to completely recover the member for Gippsland South, Danny O'Brien, visited Merbu North yesterday to help with the cleanup, and he said it was just heartbreaking seeing the destruction of homes and community facilities. The town had actually just rebuilt its swimming pool as well, and now that's in need of repairing. Mr O'Brien also said the state and federal governments really needed to take notice of South Gippsland more and about its recovery, and they needed to properly fund it. He said it's, it's going to take a lot of work and money to restore towns, and the government really needed to step up. He also criticised the government for not future-proofing the electricity network to ensure outages don't last beyond 24 to 48 hours. It's proven to be expensive because, you know, due to the loss of power, grocery stores are having to throw out any perishable goods. So there's a lot of food wastage that we're seeing at the moment. And Mr O'Brien says a review is needed to prevent similar occurrences in the future. We do need to be reviewing that this whole thing and we I called, as you might recall, for, for that to occur after the 2021 storm events that we had in June October of that year, and there was a very limited review of the uh, the power system that resulted in some minor changes to legislation last year. But, I mean, there's a, there's a balancing act here because, of course, if you try to future-proof the system entirely, that uh, comes with enormous cost, and that's actually passed on to consumers, and we all know that we're paying a lot for electricity in particular at the moment, likewise with telecommunications. But uh, I think we do need to look at all the ways we can do better. People will generally understand and accept if they're out for 12, 24, maybe even 48 hours. But when it stretches beyond that and you have to throw out food, uh, you can't get access to fuel, um, you're cut off from the rest of the world, that that is really becomes a problem. And I think we've got to look at how we can deal with the, uh, the, the clean-up as well as better future-proofing the system. That's Danny O'Brien, who's the member for Gippsland South. So power and restoring the electricity network is all important. Do we have any idea of how long it could be down for? So Osnet, which services much of eastern Victoria, they've told us they're working day and night to get the power back up and running. So during their last check-in, there were more than 40,000 people without power just in Gippsland in eastern Victoria, and they expect many of those customers to have their power restored tonight, but others may be waiting until next week even. So a spokesperson for Osnet, Karen Winsbury, says people will have their accounts credited for the period of time that the power was out, but some customers have been really frustrated over the communication from Osnet. The company is aware that some customers haven't been receiving text messages notifying them of service changes, but Miss Winsbury says Osnet is dealing with unprecedented conditions and it's trying its best to communicate and restore that power to customers. This is the most significant storm that we've ever had uh, in our network. Um, way, way bigger than the October 2021 storms that many people will will recall. Um, so we've had to um, patrol uh, 8,000 kilometres of line um, to uh, assess the damage and then make a plan for how we're going to actually restore that power. Um, we haven't actually managed to get to all of it. We will get to all of that today. Uh, and those customers will receive a message about what that estimated restoration time. But if you're one of those people 
um, that's in a remote area at the end of the line, you, you should prepare for being without power uh, until at the very earliest next week. That's Osnet Services spokesperson Karen Winsbury. Next week, that's a long time to be waiting, I have to say, Natasha. It is a long time and a long time to not have refrigeration and charging your devices. It's going to be really difficult for people in Gippsland. Natasha Shapova, our reporter in sale. Thanks very much for bringing us up to date on Australia Wide. Thank you. You're listening to ABC Australia Wide. When you travel to the Pilbara, the first thing that will strike you is the rich red earth. And the next thing you notice is the sheer scale of absolutely everything. Big mining is everywhere. The trucks are large, the trains are 2Ks long and the region produces massive profits that top up the coffers of the Australian economy. Amongst the red dirt, the last thing you're expecting to see is a lush green orchard. But nestled outside the mining town of Newman is a trial crop that's beginning to bear fruit. Tom Robinson has this story for us. Deep in the dusty mining country of the Pilbara, a crop of fruit is being harvested from a small property on the edge of an iron ore town. Amongst the crop are grapes, peaches and nectarines. The bounty is all part of a government trial that started in Newman back in 2018. Project manager Chris Shelfhout says it could develop into a multi-million dollar sector. We looked at some of the climate data and that indicated that a location like Newman, which um, you know it's nearly 400 kilometres from the coast, it's, it's about 500 metres above sea level, so you've got those sort of continental effects uh, on the climate. Uh, we observed that the chill uh, unit accumulation or the chill hours or the chill portions um, as a way of measuring the, the chilling effect on, uh, on, on plants that triggers things like uh, dormancy and breaking of dormancy. Uh, we observed that um, you know, they're relatively high compared to anywhere else in the, in the Pilbara and, and higher than places like, uh, say, Carnarvon, where we know um, low chill stone fruit has been grown in the past. Chris Shelfout says the five-year trial has proven the area has potential, but there are still a few hurdles. You know, probably the largest challenge um, would be getting getting the land tenure right and, and, and developing the water resource and 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 that sort of land package um, to be able to start that. The stone fruit trial was based on Madu Farm, a property which hosts Aboriginal-led social programs. Madu Farm's Angela Wilmot says the success of the trial brought a lot of happiness to the community actually seeing them, actually tasting them and actually seeing the sheer number of fruit that we had on these trees, um, yeah, was was pretty awesome, especially as you're standing amongst the red dirt. You know, you, it's not what you sort of expect. What did you get out of the trial? Why did you sign up in the first place? And I guess has it changed or been of any benefit um, to what you do now? Oh, absolutely. So, um, you know, when you're talking about community gardens, for example, um, you know, having uh, an orchard uh, in the Pilbara that's producing, you know, significant numbers of um, stone fruit, peaches, plums, nectarines, uh, the table grapes, you know, what what a fantastic thing to have. Um, You know, we had so much at one stage that we had to open open it up to the wider community and, um, you know, invite people down to just come and enjoy it. Um, so, you know, just from that side and then also just the exciting side of, um, you know, bringing the school groups along to come and look at, you know, this fruit being grown on the trees, being able to pick it. Um, I think one year 
um, some of the teachers took some home and made some, you know, jams and preservatives, pre- preserves and things, things like that. Um, but then also our very exciting part was um, for the people that work down at Maru Farm and for a lot of them it's, um, you know, sort of their first job or, um, you know, maybe they've had some other challenges with addiction and other things like that or um, complex things that exist in the Pilbara. Um, four of them got started and completed their traineeships in horticulture so that meant that they came to work um, you know consistently regularly over extended period of a good few years with perseverance and endurance um, you know what they were exposed to and continue to be exposed to um, is, is just outstanding. Tom Robinson reporting there. Loneliness among Australians was already a concerning issue prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, and it's now described as one of the most pressing public health concerns in Australia. With that in mind, two newcomers to a central Queensland town have started up an initiative to make creating connections easier and to tackle the issue of loneliness in regional towns. Our reporter, Scout Wallen, has this story. In a cafe in Gladstone, central Queensland, James Harris and Ying Chin are trying to foster social connections and reduce loneliness in the industry-driven town. They're the founders of Coffees and Conversations, a group that meets every month for a coffee and a, you guessed it, conversation. We're definitely seeing the flourish. So we're seeing people come along to this, meet people. You know, one of the best things for us is when we see people as they're kind of leaving, exchanging phone numbers or connecting with each other on Facebook. So we kind of know somebody's came in not knowing someone you know, and then two people are leaving and they now know each other. We're seeing a real mixture. So for anywhere from 18 to in the 70s, a pretty even mix probably of, of men and women, you know, from all sorts of backgrounds. The pair say that when they moved to Gladstone, they found it really hard to meet new people. I think moving to central Queensland is an eye-opener. Business people would tend to group with business people. And then the industry people would tend to hang out with industry people. It prompted them to start this initiative, which is getting up to 30 attendees each week. And we're finding there are people who just keep coming back because they just love it. There'll be people who will come a couple of times, meet some people, you know, we never see them again. Um, you know, and both is absolutely fine. Kim Harrington, Associate Vice President at Central Queensland University, has been running a program which looks into loneliness in Central Queensland since 2018, dubbed the Loneliness Project. We had uh, very young people coming to the forum. We had families coming to the forum. We had elderly people. We had people with disabilities. We had general, everyday people that you thought would be connected and they weren't. We were surprised. There were young professionals uh, perhaps may have relocated to the area. They were lonely and couldn't connect. And then families saying, look, we don't have money to go out. We need some free activities that are family orientated. And then, of course, it it just um, went from there. Kim says she was surprised by what she has discovered. Research identified that one in four people in Australia were lonely. So one in four people in our community regionally were actually lonely. And surprisingly, the biggest age group of where people are lonely are 18 to 25-year-olds, yet we would think they are the most connected. So the idea of having um, catch up for a coffee or come along to to this community event or this neighbourhood activity is vitally important for 18 to 25 year olds and if we can get them connected when they are at that age of progressing into adulthood then it can become easier for them 
as they age and progress through their, their careers and their life. So sometimes loneliness comes from people feeling uh, anxious or just not feeling confident with um, talking with, with others. So if there's a prevalence of opportunities, then it creates that encouragement and that awareness for people that, hey, there are some simple things that we can go along to that don't require us to become a member, don't require us to go all of the time, don't require any real commitment from us apart from attending and, and perhaps making connections. Looking forward, Ying and James want the Coffee and Conversations initiative to be a first stop for people moving to Gladstone. It'd be great to get some more integration with industry, I think, um, because I know this is something industry have been trying to figure out how to do, because one of the challenges they have keeping people in Gladstone is people tend to come here and then they tend to leave because they can't find a way to integrate um, into the community. And we've also talked to real estate agents, interestingly enough, about making people who are moving to the area, either as purchasers or renters, aware that we're here as well, so that they can they can leverage us as they settle into the community. So I guess partnerships with organisations that are bringing people into region. But for now, the duo will continue to host their coffee shop conversations in a bid to keep loneliness in their town at bay. What a great and simple idea. Scout Wallen finishing up there for us. And that is Australia-wide for this Thursday. I'm Sinead Mangan. I hope you're having a lovely evening. Cheerio. ABC Listen.